Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. And uh, I have—I know you're not supposed to talk about conversations that you've had off of the air, but uh, <laughs> my next guest and I were, were talking about some uh, really enjoyable things, and I'm sort of still uh, thinking about some of those things right now, about the New Jerusalem and some of the things that come along with that. And so I'm really excited to have with us today on uh, Signposts, uh, Rosaria Butterfield. She is, many of you are familiar with Rosaria. You've read her uh, writings or, or seen her speak somewhere. She is a, a former tenured professor of English and Women's Studies at Syracuse University, and she came to know the Lord Jesus in uh, 1999, and she describes that as a train wreck uh, that led her to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And she wrote about this in, a, in her memoir. It's called uh, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely a convert that really lays out how it is that she came to faith in Christ. Uh, and Rosari is married to her husband, Kent, who's a pastor, reformed pastor in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have children that she homeschools, and she is an author, she's a speaker. And she has a, a relatively new book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Uh, that's about practicing hospitality. And that's one of the things I really wanted to talk to Rosaria about. And I, I'll be honest that part of it is selfish mm. because this is one of those, uh, probably a lot of it selfish, but part of it selfish because I think this is an area that I don't understand as well as I ought to. And so uh, I'm hoping that she can help me with some of this and maybe in the process help you. So Rosaria, welcome to Signpost. Oh, thank you, Russell. It's so good to be here with you today. Uh, your book on hospitality is probably not what most people would think about when they think of hospitality, because in sort of evangelical circles, whenever I hear people talking about hospitality, usually it's about dinner parties and place settings and mm-hmm. and those sorts of, of things. Well, that's not really what you're talking about in this book. No. Uh, so no. what what was the impetus for writing this? The impetus was simply that as the, you know, as the years have unfolded in my Christian life, people have often asked me about what the ministry in Ken and Floyd Smith's house was like. That was the couple that the Lord used in my own conversion. And when I say Mm. things like, well, after about 500 meals, comma, (laughs) you know, their their eyes glaze over. And so I I realized that as the recipient of of radical hospitality, and, and now, you know, just only by the grace of God, someone who can practice it as well, I wanted to open a window 
into how people like me come into faith in Christ. Now, I know it Mm -hmm. is by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word proclaimed, but Mm -hmm. there are millions of people, I am convinced, like me, who are just so post-Christian that people had Mm -hmm. to bring the church to us, and they did so in their living rooms and their kitchens. So you were at this point somebody who wasn't really wrestling with uh, what would I say if God were to ask me, why should I let you into my heaven? (laughs) In other words, so you you were somebody for whom this was not an option on the table in terms of what you were looking at. So you weren't out seeking out sort of spiritual direction. No, I mean, I was reading the Bible in order to prove it wrong. I I wanted Mm. to know why basically people like you wouldn't leave people like the person I used to be alone. How did, in terms of, of the hospitality that mm-hmm. was extended to you, uh, what would you say were some things that were done right, uh, that, that you learned from in, in watching this maybe in retrospect? Right, right, right. Well, I mean, one of the things was just the way that that um, Ken and Flay Smith's hospitality didn't scare me. And it didn't scare mm. me because on the surface, at least, it wasn't all that different from the the hospitality, which is more like a kind of liberal communitarianism, but it's still mm-hmm. faithful and rigorous that was practiced in my gay community in the 90s in New York when mm-hmm. the AIDS virus had um, just, just triumphed through our lives in a terrifying way. And one of the consequences was that we decided, we called ourselves a family, we decided to act like it. And therefore, we decided quite strategically that someone's home would be open every night of the week for anyone in the gay community to come uh, for dinner and just for conversation and to stand between you and a new diagnosis. And so what was really striking to me about Ken and Floyd's hospitality was it was open and regular in that same way. I Mm. didn't know Christians did that. I thought Christians just hung out with their tribe. So. So to see this house that was committed to um, compassion and care and feeding people and getting to know people where they were at, but at the same time, a place that had a, something to offer to the world. I mean, it was very different than what I wanted to offer to the world, but it was mm-hmm. it was substantial. I could wrap my my teeth around it, and and I liked that. Um, so the first yeah. was that it didn't scare me. The second was that it was open and regular. And what I mean by that is, is Ken and Floyd weren't fussy about, about getting things exactly right. And I think they, uh. had, a, they had a good sense that um, when you are trying to bring the gospel to bear in a hands and feet sort of way to people who are well outside of, of, um, of faith in Christ, their lives are compromised by addictions and abuse and any number of other things. And while it might seem very, very friendly to say, well, arrive at 7.15 on the third Tuesday of the month, quite <laughs> frankly, if, if people don't know if they're going to be sober or safe that day, that doesn't mm-hmm. help. Yeah. So they just said, well, hey, let's do this, you know, Tuesdays at six, <laughs> you know, and, oh, and, and, and it was- Like an oh, open-ended. It was, it was, and, mm-hmm. it, and that, that made me feel like I wasn't being trapped there. Yeah. Um, there are other things that were very that were very pleasant about it too. One was that Ken was not he wasn't trying to agree to disagree. He was willing to hear me out first. Mm. Um, and he didn't act as though these conversations were polluting him in some way. Mm. 
But at the same time, they were very uniquely themselves. You know, they did things that no one else on the planet, in my planet, had ever done before. Um, after a certain amount of talking, we would turn to the Bible and Ken would say, I'm going to read a chapter from the Bible now and and then we're going to pray. And, you know, Floy and I would like to pray for you. And when there are other people at the table, you know, other people would, would chip in with their own prayer requests and their own prayer time. So they weren't at, putting at on a At first, show. was that offensive to you? Um, it, it, it was disarming to me. Um, oh. What was offensive to me was the pull that was happening in my heart. It was oh. offensive to me that I couldn't not sing the Psalms with them because they were so beautiful. And yet the words were so condemning to me that I would literally, literally just feel, I don't know, defiled. It mm. was very complex. It was, you know, Ken would say to me, Rosaria, this book has a progeny um, totally different from all the others. This is the only book that's alive. And I thought, well, that's the most offensive thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, mm-hmm. But but then then to actually have these moments where you felt like this book was actually reading you instead of you reading it, that yes. was it was powerful. I can't explain mm-hmm. it, but I can't imagine being anywhere else but a living room or a kitchen to feel that undone. Mm. Say uh, someone listening to this right now is wanting to invite someone, not a believer, into their home. How would you advise them to do it in a way that isn't manipulative, yeah, uh, right. where, where you're sort of, you know, you've got an agenda and you're wanting... I mean, I think we've all been in those conversations where someone's uh, like, hey, let's just have coffee. And then you realize, oh, wait, they're trying to get to oh, <laughs> talk yes. about you know, whatever. Right. Uh, so how do you avoid that? Right, right, right. Well, I mean, I think you want to bathe all of this in prayer and you want to bathe your intentions in prayer. Um, mm. It is God who will give the increase. Uh, we are to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed, um, but it, it is we do not manipulate or strong arm people into coming to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that does that. So we can have a certain amount of of confidence and and peace um, that that is all fine. Um, that yeah. the Lord will do His work. The other thing we want to make sure that we're doing is listening to people, because the gospel bridge to someone's heart might not be, um, you know, according to your timetable or on your agenda. We need to not be afraid to be earthly good to people. That's not, that's not the social justice gospel. That's called, you know, being a decent citizen. We want to mm-hmm. know where people hurt. We want to stand close enough to people to put the hand of the Savior into their hand, the hand of the stranger. And, um, and all of that means that we need to be willing to just be available to people. We need to be willing to show up. And at the same time, I think we need to be distinctly ourselves. Um, you know, in our, in our home, we have practiced family devotions from the first day that we were, first night that we were married. And so what we do when we have people over is at a certain point, you know, we're going to have family devotions now. And since you're my neighbor and you're, you're here, you know, you're, you're welcome to stay. You don't have to, but you're welcome to stay. Mm. And, you know, usually people have two very, very good questions. One is, how long will it take? And the <laughs> yeah. other is, do I have to pray out loud? I mean, very excellent questions, Are you, really. are you going to take up an offer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we're Presbyterians. You know? <laughs> we live on the cheap. Um, but, 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 you know, most often than not, people stay. And then we'll just read a short chapter of the Bible. Kent will 
uh, discuss it briefly. We'll take prayer requests and, and we'll pray. And, and then, you know, the next day we'll do the same thing. And because we have people in our home almost every night, we don't have, we don't feel rushed. We don't feel like we have to say everything that there is to say on the subject. I mean, in, in yeah. general, when we're speaking to unbelievers, and I've seen this in the evangelical church, and it's really funny to me, I'm, I'm, I'm still a bit of an outsider. Evangelicals seem to be more willing to be, to be harsh and, you know, judgmental and direct and, and, and mouthy with unbelievers. But with our own, we tend to yeah. be quite people pleasing. Oh, yeah. you know, I better not say this. I better not do that. It seems to me that the biblical principle is to have to have salt with yourself and grace with others. So that's right. So that's that's what we do, and we don't have an agenda apart from glorifying God by proclaiming His name and praying faithfully that our neighbors would come to Christ. Mm. What do you do about you know? I I really wrestle with uh, thinking about the accusations that came to our Lord. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, which is really easy for us to look at that and say, uh, well, obviously they were wrong. We know they were yeah. uh, by divine revelation. But I found myself just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a Christian friend who was um, sharing the gospel with someone and the person said, hey, let's get together and uh, have coffee or a meal or something uh, and talk. And they did. And then he realizes once he gets to this restaurant that it's a gay bar. Uh-huh. Yeah. And my first thought was, well, that you, you, you know, what if someone saw you in there? They're not going to know that you're there to share the gospel. And then I immediately said, well, am I, am I kind of uh, <laughs> unleashing my inner scribe and Pharisee here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, I don't know. How do you, particularly when it's your home and you have kids there, and maybe you have your Hindu neighbor or your polyamorous uh, right. neighbor right. or whoever, how, how do you balance these things without sort of sending signals to your to your kids who may not understand all of this. How, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know that I'm. I have no balance at all. If you you know, so I don't <laughs> balance anything. I just rush headlong with a hundred percent you know grace and a hundred percent truth, and and then you know I've got the tire treads on my face to show for it, um, and that that tends to be the Rosaria style. But you know, this actually did happen to us just a few years ago when our neighbor right across the street turned out to be running a meth lab out of his home. And Kent and I turned out to be the only friends that this neighbor had. And at that moment, at that moment, being, being a friend of sinners had a, had a real edge to it. That edge was um, four members of the drug enforcement agency knocking at my door and me being only grateful for one thing at that moment, and that was that at six fifteen, I was truly wearing modest pajamas. You know, <laughs> you know, just just don't 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 ever throw away those LL Bean coupons; they will be good for something. Um, so yes, I mean, I think that you know one of the things that is true if you love the stranger is you lose the right to protect your own reputation, mm, and mm-hmm. the sooner you just you just embrace that, the better. Yeah. I'm not here to win some kind of um, an award. Uh, I, I yeah. really am not. I, 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 I want my neighbors to know Christ. I want, I want my neighbors to know Christ crucified and resurrected. And my children have come to faith 
sitting around a table with their parents pleading for their their neighbors who um, represent the you know a, a, a whole you know panoramic you know setting of of different sin patterns. Um, mm-hmm pleading with them to put their faith in Christ. We, we've talked to our neighbors who identify as lesbian, who have been treated badly from, you know, from a partner. And, and we've said things, I mean, I'm, by badly, I mean abusively. And, and we've, we've said things like, um, Jesus doesn't treat his daughters like that. Mm. You know, that's all we've said. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my, my children have grown to love, genuinely love people who walk uh, in, in different faiths, and uh, and and who stumble around a little bit like we do. Um, yeah. They they've seen that these are real people, and yeah. and you know I think that that's an investment in our children. And I think the investment is this: when they hit those walls of doubt and fear, mm-hmm. and when they discover that their indwelling sin patterns are clobbering them faster than their sanctification is buoying them up. Maybe the way we could lock arms with people who think differently than we do, maybe that's a little bit of a pledge to them that we won't abandon them either. That's good. You know, I think sometimes when we think about this, we think about it specifically in terms of Christians showing hospitality to non-Christians. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been talking about so far. But within the church, there's really a loss uh, when it comes, at least in, in most uh, sectors of the church in North America, a loss when it comes to hospitality and community. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. One of those reasons, though, that I, I wonder if you can help me with that I've identified and I really haven't thought about it until just uh, just right before we started talking. Uh, and that is I've got a group of guys that really are a lifeline uh, for me. We get together at one of their houses at, you know, maybe eight o'clock, whenever we can, no agenda. And it's just, it really is one of the ways that the Lord keeps me sane Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) is in that. But that's because I have one friend who is saying, hey, everybody, why don't you come over tonight? We'll do this. I don't ever do that. And the reason is because I think well, I don't want to obligate everybody to think that they have, they'll come over just because they're being nice to me, but I don't really want to do that. <laughs> Even though rationally, I know I always want to do it and I'm always kind of upset when I can't, if I'm out of town or something. Right. So right. maybe I'm the only one that thinks that way. Yeah. Uh, I, but I would redirect that a little bit. I mean, first I would say that the family of God living like a family of God for a lot of people in our churches is not just icing on the cake. It's the whole meal. Yeah. And I think especially for people who are, who are struggling against an indwelling sin pattern that might prevent them from having a family of their own, like our brothers Mm. and sisters who are struggling and struggling well, you know, struggling like a hero of the faith. Well, against same sex attraction, those are, those are, those are brothers and sisters who don't just need icing on the cake. They need a whole meal. Yeah. And they, they need to know that, um, you know, they need to know where they're going to have dinner and where they're going to spend Christmas and who's going to celebrate their birthday. And that means, it doesn't mean occasional visits. It means, mm-hmm. it means here's a house key. 
And so mm-hmm. I think we just we just need to to do that. And it isn't just our our brothers and sisters who are struggling against same sex attraction. It's it's you know it's a whole host of other things. It's people who've been recently widowed. It's it's the you know it's it's the couple who uh, whose infertility is is squeezing out the promises of God. It's it's you know it, the and you know the list just goes on and on. Yeah. So I I think that we need to live like the family of God and families have a pretty open door policy with each other. You yeah. know, families know how to find each other without checking the, the email listserv. Yeah. Um, and families know how to gather in an organic way in a time of crisis. When, when Peter was miraculously liberated from a, you know, from that jail that's, that is, uh, you know, so powerfully represented in the book of Acts, he knew just where to go. And he knew yeah. where to go because that's where everybody gathered. And that's where I want to get to your second point. It's not that everybody's house needs to look like this. It doesn't. Maybe your mm-hmm. house is not the right place. Maybe your travel schedule does prevent it for a season. Maybe, you know, our house didn't always look like this. When my when my my mother was dying at home, it certainly didn't look like this. When we had just adopted a teenager who's putting holes in our walls as a matter mm-hmm. of personal expression, it didn't look like this. You know, it would be barbaric if, if it did. So mm-hmm. the point isn't that everybody's house in the church is 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 open in this way. The the question is this, if nobody's house is open in this way, mm-hmm. then the family doesn't know where to go. And no. the family needs needs to know where that, to go because that is not only something that builds up the family of God in powerful ways and it unleashes a kind of prayer into this world that you that we need desperately and we need more of. But it's also a powerful witness to your unbelieving neighbors mm-hmm. who see the cars, who see all the people, and who just, quite frankly, scratch their heads and say, why do those conservative Bible-believing Christians throw the best parties in town? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the things it seems to me that's the problem with getting, so you sort of have A, what we have now, and you have C, the vision that you're talking about out of the book of Acts. It seems to me that B is the the getting there because of how difficult it seems to be uh, in in our culture when it comes to actually making friendships. So, I mean, before you get to here's the house key. So if you just look at the studies that show how hard it is for people, uh, you know, past, say, their 30s, to make new friends. I mean, you you obviously, you can't go up to somebody and say, hey, I would like to be your friend. Will you be my friend? (laughs) So how how do people initiate that sort of thing, especially if maybe they're not sort of the extroverted, hail fellow, uh, well-met sort of type, you know? Right. Absolutely. No, that's, 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 that's really important. I think the first thing that you need to do is you need to take stock of what you are already doing that is a barrier to hospitality. Mm. And one of the biggest barriers, there are two, there are two consistently big barriers in the church to practicing radical and open hospitality, both within your church community and without. The first are all of those wonderful church programs <clears throat> that you and your children go to every single night. Yeah. So if you are every single night scheduled doing some kind of church program or soccer or something else, there's just no room for it. There are simply 24 hours in the day. 
And if there is no room because of your, your, your programs, then there's no room. But the other is the amount of time Christians spend on social media, waging wars that, mm-hmm. that are foolish and unnecessary. Yeah. And what you don't realize is that there are people, people in your family, people in your neighborhood who have already unfriended you because of, of the simplest things, of, of even something that you might be able to say at the dinner table and it, would, it wouldn't be as offensive. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the stark, um, the austerity, the, the definitiveness and the edge to social media that is just really really awful. So if you are too, and you know, I'm, I know I'm speaking to somebody who's, <laughs> I'm not thinking you're going to really take me up on this, Russell, but I, I, I actually already have, I'm not even on social media anymore. Oh, wow. Okay. Well then yeah. you understand, you understand. It just, at least for a time. Okay. You know? Yeah. No, I, I just, I, I, I think it's a, it's, it's, um, it creates a, you know, it just creates a barrier that we can't appreciate. Um, The the other thing, though, is to also be willing to be consistent in your open and regular hospitality. So ours is not the only household that one night a week is an open house in their neighborhood. And we we call it soup and prayer. And sometimes that's just all you get when you walk in. (laughs) But you do get that. And, and almost every week we meet new neighbors and neighbors who move into town are told, well, that's where you go on Thursday night. Oh, so you just say whoever wants to come, yeah. uh, the house we, is open. We oh, put okay. it open on our, there's, you know, there's the one form of social media I'll use is something called the next door app. And we're, when we're clear, you know, we're going to get together. We're going to read through a portion of scripture. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. Come as you are, bring a friend. Um, mm. and, and people we, respond well to that. Oh yes, absolutely. And yeah. what, what that has done, not only did, has that created a sense of community within our neighborhood, but then when problems arise, it creates a, um, a you know, a wellspring of care. And in addition to that, and this is of course, you know, the, the point, but it's also the point that we can't control. We've seen people come to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but we're very, you know, we're just consistent. We just say it's just one night a week and it's for everybody. And what I know, because I've been on the other side of this, I know mm-hmm. when it's open and regular, you are going to be sober or safe one of those Thursday nights. Mm. And you see, that's what yeah. we don't realize. So when you're open and regular about your, your invitations, people will come. You know, some days a few, some days more than a few. Sometimes you run out of chairs. Sometimes you run out of soup. I mean, it, it's okay because the point yeah. is not entertainment. The point is allowing the, the principles of the body of Christ living like a family of God to be seen throughout the known world. Yeah. I know there was one time that uh, my wife, Maria, was having a a surgery. And we had some people from our church that said, we want to come over and serve you by just cleaning your house top to bottom, uh, you know, for her. And I came home to find her cleaning the house before they came to clean the house because she said, "I (laughs) I don't want them to come in here and think 
you know, you're, you're, you're living in a pigsty. Yeah. And I laughed, but I got it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of understood yeah. where she was coming oh, from. Poor Maria. And I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> seems like, seems like that might be an obstacle of just, uh, just the idea of if I'm going to do this, I have to make sure that everything is really yeah. ready to go before and, and we do that it. I think that speaks to another point too. And a good community allows people to share both their resources and their needs. Mm, you know, a mm-hmm. few years ago, we had a situation. We work with, a, with an organization called Safe Family, and um, that's a Christian alternative to foster care. And we were working, at this point, we were fairly on the periphery of this organization when we realized that there was a family in our community who had been living um, out of a car for, you know, 16 days and had been without an actual home for a couple of months. And so we invited um, this family, a mom and a dad and a little girl, to live with us. And at this point, there was someone in our church who had been dragged to church every week by his believing parents. And often he would come high or drunk or, you know, and he got wind of what we were doing. And he came to me and he said, Rosaria, you are in way over your head. How about Mm. if I stay sober and move in and help you? Mm-hmm. And I said, awesome, you've got the job. Wow. And you know what? He was a bridge to all kinds of amazing things that happened when this family lived with us. And it was a short-term stay. It wasn't a long-term stay. And, and, and I, I, you know, it, it wasn't a huge sacrifice. I mean, you know, our water bill went up and my daughter missed a few, you know, swim practices, but in the long range of things, not a big deal. And what was really startling is we discovered that this wasn't just a family displaced by homelessness. This was a Christian family displaced by homelessness. Mm. And they Mm. became this amazing witness to our community. So I, I think you just, I'm desperate enough to take help pretty much on any yeah. terms. And I think it helps people to be helpers. It yeah. helps people to be stakeholders in a hospitality house. It might even be the bridge that they need to the Lord Jesus Christ themselves. Yeah. Wow. Well, I could talk about this all day long, but you would probably have to have a soup and prayer night uh, for me uh, if I went as long as I wanted to. But I want to ask you one more thing, uh, not not really related to this uh, necessarily, but what would you say is one thing that the Lord is teaching you right now? Mm. The Lord is teaching me right now the, the need to be quiet, to be humble, to... Um, stay close to my neighbors and my home. I've had a very busy travel uh, Mm. summer. I had a daughter who had a a very severe uh, situation that required some major surgery in February, and I had to reschedule about six weeks of work. And um, so I'm really learning the value of, um, uh, you know, Cal Newport calls it deep work. Yeah. Um, of of having uh, just very brief times on the internet, um, really, quite frankly, not answering emails unless I've initiated them, um, j- just, uh, you know, drawing my family in close. Uh, I, I homeschool, I teach full-time in my homeschool co-op. So, uh, you know, preparing to teach 15 uh, high school boys who would rather build forts than read Virgil to be excited about this. Um, yeah. 
Uh, and, and really just to focus on deep work and not shallow work. And part of that deep work is um, committing to long, long stretches in the word and in prayer and with the people I can hold up close and personal. So mm. to build into that. Sounds like the Lord is working similarly in both of our lives right now, and so uh, I'll I'll pray that continues. Uh, The book is The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Uh, Rosaria, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Russell. The privilege and pleasure is all mine. This is Russell Moore, and you've been listening to Signposts. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.